Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Grand Rising family, and welcome to Black History Month. You already know we celebrate Black History Month 365 days here. Dr. Francis Gus Wells is a mentor. Neely Fuller Jr. will begin with the elaborating on his tome on racism, white supremacy. As many of you already know, Mr. Fuller contends that if you don't understand how the system of racism, white supremacy works and all that it entails, then everything else that you think you understand will only serve to confuse you. Before we hear from Mr. Fuller, though, uh, Maryland Legislative Black Caucus Chair Janella Wilkins will discuss the health and housing problems in her state. But to get her started, from the UNI ACL, we have Lauren Butler and also Dr. Chantel is with us. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. And, and welcome to the program. Um, you guys are having a book fair coming up. And tell us about the history of this book fair, because I understand this is not the first one. This is the seventh, I think it is. Yes, it is. Um, this is um, Laureen, and um, thank you for having us on. This is the seventh annual Know Thyself Book Fair and Authors Forum. It will be held at Thurgood Marshall Center, 1816 12th Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2009. And it will be held on Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, from 12 to 6 p.m. Yes, this is, uh, we are really excited about the fact that this is our seventh annual one. Even during COVID, we didn't have it in person, but we had it online. So um, we're keeping up the process. My husband right. is also here, and he is also the co-chairperson of the Education Committee of Division 330 with the UNIA. All right. For, for the fo- for the folks who don't know, they just hear these initials, and some people think, you know, some people know they connect to Marcus Garvey. But give us a, a little history, if you, you can, real quick, about the UNIA ACL. Okay, Charles, would you like to do that? Yeah. Um, UNIA ACL was actually created by Marcus Garvey with the assistance of Miss Amy Ashwood Garvey. They created it in Jamaica first in 1914. However, uh, it didn't go as well in Jamaica as they thought, so that Marcus ended up coming to America, coming to New York. He uh, decided that he would create it here. He came in 1917. In 1918, Amy joined him and said that she would help him with that project. So they together created the UNIAACL here in New York City in uh, 1918. So that's when it began. Uh, it's been going on since that point in time. Uh, we are currently current members of that same organization. So we have a long history uh, in this city. And here in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> excuse me, we have what's called Division 330. And Division 330 is known as the Woodson, Banneker, Jackson Bay Division. 
named after Carter G. Woodson, uh, Benjamin Banneker, and William Henry Jackson Bay. Uh, each division generally takes on the name of some great leader, so we decided to use Woodson, Banneker, and Jackson Bay because Carter G. Woodson is the originator and author of uh, the Negro History Week, which became Black History Month. And so that was a great work of his. He's also the author of um, The Miseducation of the Negro, along with The uh, Education of the Negro. There are two different books. He uh, also created, uh, I think it's called an anthology of Negroes who are who have done work in the community at that time that he was uh, writing. And he became, as I said, a writer for the Negro World newspaper, which was created by Marcus Garvey and circulated throughout the entire African diaspora. It was circulated by the ship's line that they bought in those early days. They would put numbers of copies on the ships and the and the members of the ships would disperse them on the African continents that they would arrive at. And so that was their original internet, as I tend to call it. But that's kind of how it got started, the UNIA. And they had a membership of over 14 million members worldwide. And they had their first convention in New York City at... Uh, uh, what was the name of the uh, hall there? Liberty Hall. No, the uh, the uh, the big place. Liberty Hall. Well, anyhow, uh, I'm having a brain freeze moment here for a second. But they had a convention there, and at that convention, they had over 14,000 people to attend, followed by a parade. That parade is the pictures you see many times of the old UNIA where the sisters are dressed in white and the brothers are dressed in black. The brothers are known as the Universal uh, Negro uh, Legion. And the Legion was like a military police-style division of the UNIA. And the sisters were known as the Black Cross Nurses. Now, interesting thing about the Black Cross Nurses is that was also during the time of World War One, And when returning soldiers, black soldiers, from the war at home, the Red Cross nurses did not want to wait on them and work with them to help them heal. So the Black Cross nurses formed, and they would take care of the black soldiers and airmen that came back from the war. So the UNIA has had a very strong history of working with black people from that time. Wow. Uh, family just joined us, C.R. Gibbs. He's been here before. He's a historian. I just recognize his voice when he was speaking. But he's been here before, and, and there's a wealth of information that he just laid on us about the UNIA. i, I got to ask you, though, it, it, how did it last so long? Because, you know, groups don't last that long, man. It's long, you said 1914, 1918, stateside it started, and it's still going strong. How do you manage to, to survive? I think that Marcus Garvey had the most comprehensive blueprint of how black people can progress and move forward and um, be productive. You know, his philosophy and his concern was the fact that wherever he went, you know, the black man and woman were on the bottom of the totem pole. So therefore we didn't have a 
a country day. We didn't have a, a flag. We didn't have any of those things. So therefore, he said, well, we need those things. And it was, he came at a time after slavery where it was, he brought hope and an upliftment for people. And he let us know who we really were, you know, and have pride in ourselves. Because during that time, a lot of black people were not proud of being black. Seems like a lot of that stuff hasn't changed as you speak, though. Eight after the I top. I know, yeah. I know. It's it's, it's a constant battle. It's yes, really, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the UNIA was not without battles in itself for the time period that it has lasted so long. We've had several president generals who are the people that followed Marcus Garvey to help keep the organization together, and a lot of the work was done by the women in terms of keeping it together because Amy. Jake's Garvey, who was his second wife, she collected all of his papers, and she, along with other folks, wrote his first book that was published, which uh, contained all of those collected works, and it was called The Philosophies and Opinions of Marcus Garvey. And it was well read, and it was one of the inspirations of the uh, Alam Renaissance. So that's where a lot of great writers collected and, 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 and wrote about the Garvey movement and wrote about black people at that time. I got to ask you this question, though. What was it about, before we get into the, the book drive that you're having the, for the book uh, uh, fair, though, what was it about Marcus Garvey that, that, that he had that drive, that charisma, that the black people just flocked him at that time. What was it? What, it, it, it was it looks? It was it his voice, his oratory? What was it about Marcus Garvey that, that inspired so many black people back then and now? Well, you know, it, it was his aura, I would imagine, because he was such a, a renowned speaker. And he wasn't in the beginning. If you read some of his autobiographies, you know, he talks about the fact that one of the first times he did speak in front of a large group of people, he pretty much failed. And, and, and you know, it's something where, you know, we fall down, but we get up, and that's exactly what he did. He got up and he started mimicking and going around the round places, listening to other people who were speakers. And after, as, as, after a while, he developed his own style, and that's what, that's what happened. So that he, yeah, he was but, a role model. Let me jump in here again, because he, he, you said that 14,000 people, he, he attracted, 40, you know, we, there's no telephone, no fax, no internet, and he managed to get 14,000 black people to come and hear him. How did that happen? How did, he, how, how did he pull that off? Well, it was the Negro World newspaper that the UNIA produced, and as I said before, he would take that newspaper and have it placed on the ships that he had purchased. He had the Black Star Line, which was his steamship line. He was one of the first black people to talk about having boats. So he would place them on those boats, and the crew of the boats would distribute it at every port that they would arrive in as they went from the Caribbean on over to the continent of Africa. And from there, the young people in Africa would take the paper, they would read the paper, memorize what was in the paper, and go to the various villages and recite verbatim what was in the newspaper. 
So that generated the interest on the continent. So nowadays, everybody almost everywhere on the continent of Africa knows the name of Marcus Garvey and the UNIAACL. And he he always talked about loving yourself. And I think that that's something that we need to start looking at. I I have a a form as a retired educator in um, the D.C. public school system of 38 years. I used to do mirror work with my students where you look in the mirror and say, I love myself totally and unconditionally. He provided that image and that drive or that ability to for people and that's why they flocked there because they wanted to hear more right that's that's outstanding uh, 12 after the top their family just joining us a uh, guest from the unia division 330 they're having a book fair at the thurgood marshall center in northwest dc uh this weekend we tell you more about that but discussing their background they, the, the person who all started was marcus garvey let me ask you this question because we're coming up on a break did Garvey hate white people? That's that's the biggest misnomer going. Marcus Garvey did not hate black people. I mean, white people. <laughs> he did not hate white people. But sometimes white people feel if you're pro-black, you must hate them. So that that whole thing has been taken totally out of character. He said that black people needed things, and he addressed what black people needed. White people take care of themselves. We don't need to do anything for them. They take care of their own. So it wasn't a matter of hate. It's not a hate group. Uh, as a matter of fact, he actually talked to the Klan at one point in time. Because he, he felt that until we could become strong enough to stand on our own, he 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 agreed with them that we should we should be separate, you know, in order for us to build our own communities and build our own wealth. So you know that was one of the things that was in place. And All when right. you hold that thought about, right there, we got to take a short break. As I mentioned, fourteen after the top of the family, we have members of the UNI three thirty. Book Fair with us this morning. We've got Lauren Butler, Dr. Chantella, and C.R. Gibbs is with, in, with us this morning. I'm going to sit in studio with us this morning. Family, you want to join this conversation? It's the first day of Black History Month, and we're talking real Black history right now. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 14. And good morning, family. 21 W-O-L, minutes after the top of the hour with members of the UNIA Division 330. They're having their book fair this weekend at the Thurgood Marshall Center in Washington, D.C., northeast of Washington, D.C., and we're going to tell more about the book fair. But before we do that, i got a tweet question from Gail. Uh, for, uh, for the panel, the panel consists of Lauren Butler, Dr. Chantella, and historian C.R. Gibbs. And now here's a, the tweet question. The tweeter says, I agree with Marcus Garvey. We should have stayed separate. Why did we integrate? It has only put us back a 1,000 years. So anybody on the panel want to respond to uh, Gail's questions? I want to add one more person to the panel. My husband, Charles Butler, he's the co-chair of the uh, UNIA Education Committee, All along right. with me. Uh, speaking to her question about staying uh, focused on our own people, people forget or don't know that at the time that Marcus Garvey was doing what he was doing, the Federal Bureau of Investigation was tasked with going into the organization 
and pretty much disrupting it and and and, and destroying it. Uh, a guy by the name of J. Edgar Hoover, who we all know that name, got his first assignment to follow and investigate Marcus Garvey. And as a result, you can see how that would affect the organization moving forward. Uh, there's been ups and downs and ins and outs from provocateurs. And- McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you other kinds of people doing things to disrupt what was going on. Because remember, at that time, black folks were getting geared up for the Harlem Renaissance and the love of themselves. And those kinds of things just was not something that white America really appreciated. So they did everything they could to disrupt the organization. But it has survived all of that and will continue to survive because black people know who they are now to some degree. All right. Let's talk about the book fair coming up. Uh, what can we expect at the book fair? Uh, I guess uh, Lauren and Charles, you want to respond to that? Absolutely. I, I want to add something before I do that. Um, in the book by Marcus Garvey yeah. that was edited by Tony Martin, it says, The Message to the People, The Course of African Philosophy is the title. And in the book, it has things that we should do as leaders. And the first Thing in the first chapter, he talks about the fact that we should read, mm-hmm. you know, that we should never stop learning. He says, you must never stop learning. The world's greatest men and women were people who educated themselves outside of the university with all the knowledge that the university gives. And you have the opportunity of doing the same thing. The university student does read and study. One must never stop reading. Read everything that you can that is of standard knowledge. Then he talks about the fact that you need to read to get information that you may not get by as being a human. And then he says um, the things that you should read are literature, you should read biographies, autobiographies. Okay, we have Sam Collins as one of our, who is a writer of The Informer who is going to present his book on his autobiography. We have, he said, we should read poetry because it's inspirational. And we have Laini Mataka, who will be presenting her poetry. She is renowned for known in this area. He says, read history. And as you know, we have C.R. Gibbs joining with us. And you should read at least four hours a day. And then he talks about how to read, and then he says, you should never waste time. Oh, yeah, one more thing I wouldn't want to add. Francis Quest, Dr. Francis Quest Welsing, 
who you used to have on the show periodically, would always say reading is more important than watching TV. So we should replace that time that we are reading, that we are watching TV with reading for at least four hours a day, according to him. And he was always saying that if um, you're on a long journey, you should take, and it takes an hour or so, you should carry something to read for you until you reach that place. If you're sitting down waiting for somebody and have something in your pocket to read until the person comes, he says, don't waste time. Anytime you think you have to waste, put it in reading. Carry with you a small pocket dictionary and study words while waiting or traveling. All of these things are things that we need to put back into our regiment of living. And finally, he says that if you read one book every week, um, separate from reading the newspaper or journals, at the end of the year, you would have read 52 different subjects. After five years, you would have read you would have read over 250 books. So, with that in mind, um, my husband came together and he decided that we should have an old-fashioned book fair, and we have 20 authors, African authors in the DMV who will be present at our book fair on February 3rd. All right. Let me ask Dr. Chantel a question, though. Uh, you mentioned books and, and, and just mentioned along mentioned about reading. But now, this day and age, we're in competition with the Internet. How are you going to get people away from the Internet? Or should some of the, or all these books on the Internet, can they read these books online? Um, my number of is you always need to go back to the original source, which is the paper page-turning books. Um, I think the Internet right now is full of People who are soapboxing and spitboxing is folks that are dropping knowledge with misinformation. And so you need to go to the library, and I would say invest in books. You need to get to a point where you, if you're spending money on coffee and coffee houses and Starbucks and all of that, you can afford to buy books. And the way people are banning books right now, it's extremely important that you take Mm -hmm. um, not just the notion but the active engagement of going out and purchasing books that you need that may one day real soon not even be available to you. So something, again, about having that physical product in your hand um, rather than relying on what people are posting online. All right, 28 after the top there. Speaking about something tangible, what sort of books are going to be on display here at the, at the Thurgood Marshall Center on Saturday? Okay, as you know, we're going to have um, Sister um, Dr. Chantella Sherman will tell us more about her book, which is she's an expert on eugenics. Um, we will have, um, of course, Dr. C.R. Gibbs, who is a historian. We will have um, Chantella Barry Pettis, who is a, a author of children's literature. Um, we have um, Nubia Kai. Who is who writes fiction? We have Danny Queen, who is a poet. Um, um, we have Melvin Mitchell, who is uh, an architect, and he has two books on architecture. We have um, Dr. Akmal Muwakil, who has books on health and healing and, and curing diabetes. 
we have um, um, Mike McIver and Ron Cook, who are the uh, editors of Black Sea Calendar, which they're approaching their 50th year of production. Um, We will have O.R. Amadou and Kemet, and he has a book out as well. Um, We also have um, Harriet Frost, whose book is going to be on Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Black Wall Street. She's directly, her husband is directly uh, a part of that group of people who were living in Black, living in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. Um, Regina Jefferson has self-esteem books for teens. And Sister Nubia, I'm sorry, Sister Nia 2X has a book vendor's directory. Uh, Roy Lewis has poetry, and we, we like I said, we have across the the a gamut of a number of books, you know. All right, sounds like it's going to be a good deal. Let me ask uh, uh, C.R. Gibbs though, because he's a historian here. But Amy Jakes Garvey, I want to ask you a question about her. What was her influence on with Marcus or on Marcus Garvey? In fact, two of the. Uh Seminal influences, and and Brother Butler already mentioned the, the the role of women, and and when you understand that they acted as idea bringers, they acted as in their own way teachers, and most importantly, they helped to preserve his his legacy. We we would not know what we know uh, had had not the sisters been on station. We we understand now, and we are richer for it, that uh, these people had the foresight to understand that this man was creating, he wasn't simply giving it back to us, he was creating a historical line in which we grew stronger. We he, he, one, one example will be that where could you go and read the work of J.A. Rogers, uh, who in fact was... Who, Rode the rails with uh, uh, my uncle, uh, and and that's another way that information about Garvey was disseminated uh, along the rails through through uh, black Pullman porters, that kind of thing. So when we look at the work of the, the sisters that were closest to him, the role of black women who with the lifeblood of the UNIA, we owe them an eternal debt that that we still haven't repaid yet. Right, 28 away from the talk. Uh, Dr. Chantella, uh, your book about eugenics, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, the original book was In Search of Purity, and it examines African-American, the African-American presence, the black presence in the American eugenics movement, and how um, we've basically, in some instances, taken on some of the scientific thoughts and theories um, that white people originally came up with, which were mysteries, that were misguided, um, and then reinterpreted it and then used them sometimes as models for racial uplift. Um, so we examine, I examine things like uh, colorism, but also um, how we define ourselves and our identity formation. Marcus Garvey was extremely important um, in having black people learn to love themselves against scientific theories that said that we were subhuman, we were a subspecies, 
and that that type of language is written into our laws. It's written into our everyday policies, and as a result, we can't quite deconstruct from it unless we recognize it. So I was also a student um, of Dr. Welsing. So um, I believe in going in and trying to pull the scientific information out, make it as plain as possible so that the average person understands that they're fighting against racism, but in a scientific way sometimes. And it goes into our housing, our education, um, our social policies. And if we can't identify it, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle when we really could be knocking folks out at this point. All right. Hold that thought right there. We've got to take another short break at 26 away from the top there. Family, you want to join this conversation with Lauren Butler, Charles Butler, Dr. Chantella Sherman, and also historian C.R. Gibbs. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. They're having a, a book fair. This is going to take place on Saturday at the Thurgood Marshall Center. This is in Northeast D.C. We'll take your phone calls for them in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family, and welcome to Black History Month. And with us in, uh, this morning, we have members of the UNIA ACL. We have uh, Lauren Butler and Charles Butler and Dr. Chantella Sherman and historian C.R. Gibbs. Before we go back then, let me just uh, tell it come up later this morning we're going to speak with neely fuller jr you know his his poem on racism white supremacy he's going to discuss that some more with us it says if you don't understand how the system and that's the key word the system of racism white supremacy works and all that entails everything else that you think you understand will only serve to confuse you but we have before we hear from mr fuller maryland legislative black caucus chair janelle wilkins will join us she's going to discuss some of the health and housing issues in her state and tomorrow is friday of course and give you another chance to join us for our open phone Friday edition. Free your mind and think for yourself and check in with us promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, Dr. Chantel, you t- you talked about eugenics. You're talking about uh, almost like the discussion we had yesterday when, with Ms. Hughes about the caste system and, and you mentioned uh, Dr. Fuller. You know, you mentioned uh, Dr. Welsing and she mentions it as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that system? Because, you know, Dr. Welsing mentioned that, you know, if you're black, get back. If you're brown, stick around. You know, the whole th- th- thing was, was some la- lack on the nursery rhyme for us when we were growing up. <laughs> right. Um, basically, what this started off with around 1840, though, was an agrarian science, meaning agriculturally. And the belief was that in the same way you can cross-pollinate plants and animals, you could also do that with people to weed out certain people, certain traits, certain characteristics, and to breed in the things that you wanted. So as white people built the nation, they had already conscripted us to the bottom rungs as a subspecies, under-evolved, with little or no aptitude, no history, no morality, things like that. So even our segregation laws um, go to the belief that black people can contaminate, quote unquote, white people, contaminate their genes, contaminate their DNA and breed into them Negroness or blackness. And so with eugenics, everything is about scientifically us being genetically inferior. So when you put that science portion into it, Science bleeds into medicine. Medicine bleeds into our social sciences. Um, it bleeds into our laws. It, again, goes into our housing, our education. So when we talk about IQ issues, when we talk about not being able to get proper 
um, medical care. Um, black people don't feel pain. All of these types of things go into us being considered less human, um, not human at all, um, not worthy of. And so, again, when you push those type of theories, 1840, this is before slavery even ends. So it means that by the time emancipation comes, you get to a point where black people are considered to be the white man's burden. And so you have a lot of language historically about what to do with the Negro problem. The idea was to send us back to Africa, but our nation had no money anyway. America had no money. So we were stuck. And we were stuck for them as well. So you end up with all of these laws and fears. It's really a fear that's driving um, these policies and these laws. But whether it's Dred Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson, all of these have eugenic language within them. And so you'll see from the start, from the moment freedom came, quote unquote, it actually puts us in another cage. Um, and so if we don't understand that portion of it, we start to have, um, again, a battle that we're fighting constantly and continuously, and we begin to fight with each other as well. So um, we have to do this thing where we reclaim ourselves by first understanding these labels that have been placed on us as immoral, angry, aggressive, um, unworthy, ignorant, backward, all of these things. And then when we put social programs to fixing a problem that really exists in white people's minds, um, you have an even larger trope to have to break down. So that's and what fam- I'm trying to do with the book. To help well, this sounds like a great book. Family, if you don't remember anything this morning, remember what Dr. Chantella just said, because what she said is it describes our situation to the T, what we're going through right now. Anyway, 17 away from the top. Yeah, Mark is joining us. He's in Baltimore. He's on line four. Good morning, Mark. You're on with the panel. First, um, thank you for the information. I learned a lot about uh, Marcus Garvey that I didn't know. Um, but And also, um, we talked about Frances Crest Wesley, and every time we talk about her, um, I have to always talk about the, the, the uh, racism and white supremacy um, counter behaviors that she that that she talked about that that we can do because right now nobody hates on us like we do. But when we talk about integration, this this is my thing about that. And I was just talking to Kevin. He grew up in the South, and I had relatives in the South. Integration, I think, was more about um, grandma not getting hung if she go to the wrong bathroom and you know and all that kind of stuff. If you grew up in the South and the Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff, um, it was the law that you couldn't do certain things. And mm-hmm. when 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 you did when you did integrate, like they opened the door for us, we did what we do. You know, we, 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 we soared, you know, and we can support each other. We can still support each other. So the counter racist behaviors do you think um, we need to, to incorporate that more in our, our uh, cities right now to, to stop name-calling one another, stop cursing one another, stop squabbling with one another, stop being discouraged, stop stealing from one another, stop robbing one another, stop fighting one another, stop killing one another, stop using drugs and stop selling drugs to one another? Do you think that's more relevant right now than, than ever in our communities? All right, thanks, Mark. Anybody want to uh, respond to that? Yeah, I'd like to speak to it first. Uh, all of those stops that he mentioned, which Francis Chris Wilson gave to us, would change the outcome that we see in the news every day 
which is highlighted where young people are killing each other and that kind of thing. The reason they kill each other is because they don't they lack hope. They don't, they don't feel like they have an opportunity to thrive in this society. And so if you love yourself and you see your brothers and sisters and you love them as well, you're not quick to want to kill somebody like that because you affect families, not only the person that gets injured, but the family of the person that's injured or killed. So, you know, we got to look at our environment because if there's trash in our environment, that's not a loving situation. That's a situation to avoid. So we have to make sure that our environment is clean so that it brings out our self-pride. So all of those things are related. They're not small in any way. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. All right. Thanks, Thank Mark. You. All right. Anybody else want to respond to Mark's question, Dr. Chantella, Lauren, or Charles? Yeah, I, I want to go back to the fact that, you know, it is a matter of loving yourself. And, you know, people say, oh, I love myself. But no, <laughs> we, 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 we don't. We really don't. And it's a constant thing every day that we need to start doing that. And um, social media, to me, has been something that we embrace. But when we started embracing it, as time went on, we started bullying. Students are bullying each other on on um, on social media and talking about one another and putting each other down. And not only that, I see um, people who are entertainers and, and people like that are doing the same thing. And we need to stop doing that. So so you know it's it's a and it's it's because when I look at you, if I don't love myself and I look at you and you look like me, I hate you and I hate myself. So we have to get away from that. And, and it goes back to what Dr. Um, Sherman was talking about. It's been established and we've been conditioned. So we have to decondition ourselves. And the best way to do that is to know who you really are. We are kings and queens. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so true. Um, would, go ahead. I would piggyback on that. Um, just understanding, we, you know, as the mediums change, social media, all of this, this is new to us. But the reality is you can go as far back as, as Kenneth and Mamie Clark. Mamie Clark doing research, you know, 1930s, 1940s, where she's talking about little children inside their own homes, three years old, four years old, whose identity formation is there. They're not really interacting with white people, but white society and racism is interacting with them. And so by the time they leave their homes, we have to actively engage with our children and not call them big noses or give them nicknames based on their skin tone and things like that. By the time they've entered outside our doors, outside inside, into the regular community, they already have names and nicknames. And if they've been told that they are less than, that was what that research was. When you're three, four, five years old, and someone asks you, which is the bad doll of the white and the black one? And you say the bad one is the black one. Which one is the ugly one, the black one? We weren't watching television then. So mm-hmm. what is going on where we're not fully talking to our children and to the, the folks around us saying, you're beautiful. You're smart. You're too handsome for that type of behavior. I love this about you. I like that about you. I need you here to do X, Y, and Z. We're not doing that portion of the things that we used to do. So some of these things, one of the things I really, you know, was impressed with with Dr. Wilson was she was clear. 
white people do have a certain amount of power, but we also have power to not only negate some of the things that they're doing, but to really shore up, gird up, arm up, you know, our family, our kids, our households, our communities to fight off and resist some of these things. And we can't be healthy and whole if our children are leaving out of the door, already compromised because we're taking on the names and the bullying before they even make it out the door. All right, 10 away from the top of that. Let me ask Charles this. Charles, how do we reach those people, though? Because, you know, the, the folks who are in, in that sunken place, they, they generally don't know they're in the sunken place. And we all were there at one time. Yeah. How, how do we get to them, though? How do we reach them? How do we wake them up? The book fair is my first effort at trying to reach them. You have to interest people in information. I mean, WOL says it all the time. Information is power. And to empower ourselves, we have to read because reading leads to listening and talking to other people. I've listened to so many scholars in the black community that I have a library of books, which is next to none. But that's because I learned to love myself from people who talked about black love. And you've got to be positive about yourself. Uh, reading is the key. It's the key. You can't do nothing in this world if you can't read very well or if you don't read at all. So you have to read. It informs you. It increases your mental muscle, and uh, it makes for a better society. All right, nine away from a time. Uh, uh, C.R. Gibbs, uh, as a historian, you, you've, you know, you've watched and read and, and seen our people move, and we, sometimes we may go, go left when we should go right. How... How, how optimistic are you that we can make it, especially with what's going on now with what we've seen with our young people? Uh, one of the members of the panel mentioned about what's going on with, 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 on the Internet. But are you optimistic, though, because you've been following this as a historian, uh, that we can make it? Your thoughts? I, I, I put a twist on Dr. King's uh, statement that we must be prepared to accept finite disappointment but maintain infinite hope. Because we cannot, with are with we all we got. We cannot afford to give up on ourselves, and 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 in 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 keeping with that idea, I would also recommend. Uh, we talked about Dr. Francis Quest Welsing, uh, a book called The Maroon Within, within us, uh, by the late great Dr. Asa Hilliard, and he sets forth simple steps that you can take as a parent, as an aunt, as an uncle, to expose our children, I hate to say it in, in this modern 21st century society, but there are things that we have done, there are ideas we've inculcated that we need to do away with. And so we put models, positive models, in front of our children. We put them into positive black organizations. We teach them about uh, the the uh, UNIA. They, they, they're not getting this in school. Trust me. I mean, I still go into schools when I get the chance. And there is a lack of knowledge. I can't put that. It's not the children's fault. But adults can and should do more. And they should start in the family, in the living room, with books. Books are not kryptonite. We have in a, a responsibility from the – if you know your third niece on your fourth cousin's uh, family side is getting ready to, to have a – the first gifts they should get are books. These are the antidote to the 
interior hate and the exterior hate that's going to be visited upon them. I maintain hope, uh, a, a recipe to fight this nonsense, uh, this nonsense that we face out here is in the maroon within us by Dr. Asa Hilliard. Again, simple steps don't cost you any money. Please, when you're reading and considering things to read, all of the Neely Fuller's work, we have the brain power out here. Black folk, leave that reality TV mess alone. Stay away from social media and, and introduce your children to the marvelous, powerful, and empowering work of reading. All right, we're coming yeah. up on a break. We come back, Lauren. I want to ask, I want you to tell us what, because we're talking about the young people, what kind of books are going to be on display there for the young people at the book fair? Family, you want to join this conversation? Hit us up at 800 450 7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power. Keep And good morning, family, and welcome to Black History Month. Welcome to February as well. And momentarily, we'll speak with the Legislative Black Caucus Chair. That would be Janelle Wilkins. We're going to talk about issues in Maryland and especially in Baltimore City. But right now, we're with the panel. They're holding their seventh annual their seventh annual uh, book fair. It's going to take place at the Thurgood Marshall Center on Saturday. We have Lauren Butler, uh, Charles Butler, Dr. Chantella Sherman, and also historian C.R. Gibbs. So, Lauren, Lauren, my question to you was. What are you going to have for children at the book fair? Okay, we will have um, Brother Rafu from Children of the Sun has a large collection of children's books, and he will be one of the vendors there. We also will have uh, Sharita Berry Pettis, Dr. Sharita Berry Pettis, and she has a number of children's books. And um, we have a, another a new book, author, and her name is Regina Je- Jefferson, and she will be featuring books for teens. Now, I also want to add that we um, sent Kofi, we, we um, promote Sankofa Bookstore, which is on Georgia, Bookstore and Cafe, which is on Georgia Avenue. The address is 2714 Georgia Avenue. And we also highlight Everyone's Book Place, Everyone's Place, which is on 1356 West North Avenue, and that's in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, yeah. I, I'd just like to add that I would challenge anybody listening to get a young person, take them either to Everyone's Place on North Avenue in Baltimore or to Sankofa Bookstore here in Washington, D.C., and I guarantee you they'll find a book of interest there for them. And together, you can either read together or you can read separately, but reading is more important than watching TV. Amen. Yes, I I just really definitely want to add also that we are, um, it is Very Good Marshall Center, 1816 12th Street Northwest Washington, D.C. Okay, once again, that's in Northwest Washington, D.C. 
and it's Saturday, February 3rd, 2024. We will begin at 12 noon till 6 p.m. All right. Thank you for that, because I was saying in Northeast, it's in Northwest D.C. Anyway, panel, uh, before we go to uh, uh, Janelle Wilkins, uh, Brian is calling from Los Angeles, has a question for you on line four. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Carl. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. You have the most important collaboratory for us, period, in my opinion. And you have me losing sleep, Carl, but I'm gaining so much knowledge. My question is... Are, are, are you all with the UNIA collaborating with Dr. Julius Garvey? Yes. Yes, we support Dr. Garvey. Uh, he also has a book out. <laughs> so, uh, I'm familiar. That's why I'm asking. It, 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 yeah, it's all one family. All one family. Good, good. Will you be putting your your contact info out also? Because I'd love to collaborate with you all also because of the work sure. that we're doing with Dr. Julius Garvey. Thank you so much, Carl, for all that you do. All right. Thanks, Brian. Okay. All right. You guys want to give out the contact information? For further information, please, you can call 202-787-0251. That's 202-787-0251. Zero two five one. All right. Is this going to be zoomed, or or is this you, you, we have to show up uh, at the book fair? No, we we've done zoom so much. We want everybody to come out. The weather's going to be good, and we would love for everyone to come and visit. We will have food because so make it a day's event. Please bring children because they will learn a lot. Uh, we we started out calling it the book fair, and then we had to call it the um, annual Know Thyself Book Fair and Authors Forum because the four, each author will have an opportunity to speak for about 10 minutes about their book. And you learn so much from each and every one of them. I love going there, and, and sometimes I get lost <laughs> because of the fact that I learn so much. My motto is that you should learn at least five new things every day. Right. That's what we try to do here. That's why we call it a classroom. And our guests are, are scholars or professors or teachers, just like you guys are this morning. So I want to thank you for sharing all this information with us. We want to thank you, too. I just wanted to mention quickly, this is Charles, uh, that we're not the only ones helping to produce this program. There's uh, Brother Elbada at the, uh, of the Heritage Gallery, and there's Brother Imamu Ahumba and his son, Kwesi. Uh, and, and, and a number of other members of the organization that help us pull this off. Yes, this is in sponsorship with Heritage Gallery and the UIA International in partnership with the Thurgood Marshall Center Trust. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for putting this on because that's what we need. Information, as we say around here, information is power. So thank you for sharing us at the book fair at the Thurgood Marshall Center. It's in Washington, D.C., Northwest D.C. Uh, so make sure you, if you've got time, make sure you check it out. And, and as they said, bring a young person with you. So thank you again, panel. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Carl. All right. Let's move on now at 7 at the top. I'll say good morning to uh, Janelle Wilkins. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, as chair of the Legislative Black Caucus Chair in Maryland. So that's the whole state of Maryland. That you, you, you represent black folks in the entire state, correct? 
That is correct. The Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland is a group of all of the black legislators across the state. We're the largest in the country at 66 members of the Maryland General Assembly. And before we go into some of the issues, uh, let's, let's talk about voting, because, you know, elections are coming up in the fall. And some people are, are considering sitting out voting and some people who, who usually vote are considering sitting out voting and some people who just don't vote. They just don't feel like like electing people like yourself makes a difference. They'll look at their lives and look around and say, hey, nothing's changed for us. What do you say to those folks? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I would, I would say that voting absolutely matters and makes a difference. We look at the work, for example, that Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland is doing. If you're feeling disillusioned by what's happening at the federal level, Tune in to what we're doing at the state level, the work that we're doing around racial inequality, um, working on issues around health care disparities, housing and transportation access, education to improve the outcomes in schools. All of those things matter, and who you have representing you matters. Uh, we have congressional elections at the federal level that is happening, and we have to have the representation from U.S. presidents on to Congress who are fighting for us and these issues as well to mirror what's happening at the state level. And so I encourage people to participate, make their voice heard, because who represents you on these issues that are so critical to all of our daily lives? Um, we need your voice and your vote. Yeah, and, and Maryland is so diverse. You know, the issues that, you know, in Bethesda may not be the same as what's in Baltimore. How do you decipher which, which you know, is sitting on the top of the pile? What's in your intake first that you would, would deal with? Absolutely. So as a Black caucus, our role is to advocate for policies that advance Black Marylanders. And we have a caucus that stretches from members who represent uh, from the Eastern Shore to Baltimore City, Prince George's County, Baltimore County, and Arundel County. I represent Montgomery County. And one of the things that we did throughout last year was that we actually held town halls. And hopefully some of your listeners were able to attend one of them. We held four town halls in different areas of the state. And that helped us both to share the work that we did in Annapolis last year, but also to hear from members of the community about issues of concern. So that really helped to inform our agenda, our legislative agenda for 2024, and helped us stay connected um, to the community and the issues that they want to see us advocating for. All right, 10 after the top there, let's talk about housing. You know, I visit Baltimore and I see all these closed-up buildings. Then I look on the streets and see a lot of homeless people. Can something be done to help the homeless in using some of those boarded-up buildings in Baltimore City? Absolutely. At the at the state level, um, one of the things that we do is help to provide funding and resources to jurisdictions and the city of Baltimore 
around um, supporting efforts in blighted communities. So we have things like facade improvements. We have things to help make it easier. There's legislation I know that's on the table to make it easier for the city to be able to take over those sorts of properties so that they can be um, redeveloped. We, of course, want to be careful to make sure that when those um, buildings, especially housing units, are redeveloped, that they are affordable and that they are developed in a way that continue to build community and help the people who have been living there. So there's definitely some things that we want to keep in mind, but um, we at the state level can and should pass policy to make sure that the city has the levers and the tools that they need um, to be able to, to uplift those communities and also funding and resources. Oh, yeah, so speaking about funding, you know, one of the the, the cr- critiques I hear about, and this is not from you guys, it's from the, at the local level, they have money there sits on the table of, for homeless, they told me, and it was untouched or returned or rejected or something, but the money wasn't used. Is there anything the state can do when when, when that happens? Can the, the residents reach out to you and say, hey, listen, these local guys ain't touching the money, and we still, and this is for the homeless, and we have a, an acute homeless problem in the city. Is there something that, that you guys can do since the local guys are not handling it yeah i think um baltimore city has a really strong delegation in the state house and i know that this is an issue that i'm sure they will take up there's a lot of this might not be something where a bill needs to be passed but just communication um with the the baltimore city council and the mayor and i know that those relationships are strong and that those communications will happen to help support and ensure that resources are being spent also, the, the the health problem, you know, and this is kind of like with with the homeless as well. The, the health problem, uh, sort of mental health. Are there anything that in the state legislature that you guys have been discussing how to how to you know uh, approach the mental health problems in our communities? Yes. So the Black Caucus has um, five priority areas, and one of them is the issue of health. And we're prioritizing a couple of different issues that include maternal health, it includes looking at disparities around cancer, and around mental health, there is a specific focus in our state around youth mental health in particular, wanting to make sure that we have services for our young people. And one of the ways that the administration is actually doing that at the state level is working to expand Medicaid so that our schools and our local communities can actually build Medicaid for young people to be able to access mental health. Because unfortunately, the way that our healthcare structure nationally and in the state of Maryland is that we focus on the, the physical body, but we leave out the, the mental health aspect, which is just as important. So there are efforts. Um, the, the cost is, of course, always an issue, and that's why starting with Medicaid funding and utilizing Medicaid funding and being able to build um, for mental health services is a really um, important place for us to start. All right, hold that thought right there. We could take a short break. And family, I want to hear from our friends who, are, who always complain about the lawmakers in Baltimore and Maryland. They, you've got one here this morning. you got some concerns. Reach out to us. I know you know it, but I'll give it to you again. 800-450-7876. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power.
And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, we're with the Legislative Black Caucus Chair. Her name is Jeanelle Wilkins and discussing some of the issues for black Marylanders. And, you know, when we talk about black Marylanders, the issues of facing black folks in Maryland, uh, black folks all over the world, actually, are facing the same issues. And we talked about health. And uh, Delegate Wilkins, you mentioned that you're going to tackle the disparities that we face in, in you know, cancer or, 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 or maternal health or just any metric that you can use or any health issue, we're at the bottom of the barrel. And this one of the things you want to talk about is the disparities. Why? Why are we so, you know, at the end of the stick all the time? Absolutely. There are certainly a whole lot of factors that really um, have systemic roots that are rooted in inequality and access to housing and just a number of different ways that we call the social determinants of health that impact Black communities and disparities that we face. But through legislation, we're working to address those. One of the areas around health that the Black Caucus is focused in on is maternal health. Black women in the state of Maryland are actually four times as likely to die as a result of childbirth. We want to work to eliminate that number and eliminate that disparity. So we have introduced um, a piece of legislation called the Maternal Health Act of 2024, and it has a number of different provisions in it, but one of them that's um, really important is accountability and transparency for birthing hospitals, for us to be able to see their outcomes, to be able to see the challenges that are happening, to make sure that women are able to make the right decisions on where they go, and also when hospitals, um, their birthing outcomes, when that is actually made public, that helps to make sure that they also make adjustments in care. There's a number of different pieces in that bill, but I really also want to make sure I focus in on the issue of prostate, breast, and lung cancer. Those three cancers, especially prostate for our black men, and I want to take a moment to encourage all of our black men, especially um, 40 and over, to be sure to get those prostate screenings because we're seeing that as number one cancer diagnosis in our black men. And so for all three of those cancers, we're actually going to be commissioning the Maryland Department of Health to do a public education campaign because we've passed legislation to reduce and eliminate the cost barriers to screening and follow-up tests. We want to make sure the community knows about that and that we are participating in the necessary screening so that if there are um, issues around cancer or different challenges, that we are finding those early and getting the treatment that we need. Yeah, I got to ask you this because I got a tweet <clears throat> for you, question for you. Before we do that at 23 after the top of the hour, when you're in Annapolis and, and you're, you know, fighting and arguing for for issues that support our community, therefore our community, do you get any pushback from any of the other folks? Do, do, they, you know, they say it's too black or do, or you get any people who, you know, just don't want state money to be spent on black folks. You get that kind of pushback. That's where I'm going. Well, I think we're at a really amazing place in our state right now, a place that we've never been before, which is where we have unparalleled historic black leadership in the state of Maryland. Going back to our conversation about why voting matters, we have a black governor. We have the first black speaker of the House. We have a black treasurer, a black attorney general. We have four committee chairs in the House, between the House and the Senate. Um, who who are Black, and these are members of our Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland. So as a Black caucus, 
our our role and what we were founded to do in 1970 is specifically advocate for the issues that impact our black community. And so um, we're not a monolith. There's certainly within the caucus and outside of the caucus different ideas on how this should happen, what should be a priority, how we tackle the solutions to the challenges that we face, certainly. Um, but this unique place that we are in our state have helped us um, in terms of being successful, and we have to make this moment matter. I'm glad you said you got to make this moment matter because you've so many black leaders in so many key positions. Does that put pressure on you guys to deliver? You know, the ultimate with, with who can write, who can put his signature on is, is the governor. So does that put pressure on you guys to deliver to the black community now that we've got all you guys in position, we voted for you, and we're waiting to see a difference? Is that a lot of pressure for you? Absolutely. And we should always have that pressure on us to deliver for our communities and have real results. One of the things that we always talk about as a caucus um, publicly and privately is that it's not enough for us to be where where this large black caucus. It's not enough for us to have these leadership seats and positions. What are we doing with it? How are we making that matter? When we look back after our terms, what are the concrete ways that our community has advanced? And so that's our our measure in terms of the work that we do as a caucus. And that why, that's why we've outlined a very specific policy agenda that is robust, that is achievable, and that we believe will move our community forward. And let me ask you, it's a 26 after the top there. Is it too early to grade the governor yet? Who is still in the honeymoon phase? How do you see it? I think the governor is is doing an excellent job. One of the things that's important to keep in mind is that after eight years um, of the, the Hogan administration, the legislature and the administration, um, it, was, it was challenging having a governor that was not fully staffing his agencies. When we talk about, for example, the Department of Health and the health issues that we just mentioned, if you have an agency that is understaffed, we can pass all of the bills that that we want to pass. How will they get implemented when you don't have the team and the resources in place there? Um, There have just been so many um, issues that we've been dealing with that now have fallen on the lap of our governor. And I think that the state is so much better off having a governor who's passionate about inequality, passionate about justice, passionate about building and rebuilding our state government so that it actually works. And that will really pay off leaps and bounds for our residents. So patience is the word, I take it. It, it is, because I think we really have to keep in mind that we have had um, eight years of underinvestment in a number of areas. Uh, your listeners probably heard about all the um, transportation shortfall. That's been something that has build, been building over years and years and years and just came to a head and fell into the lap of this governor, where now we are dealing with and trying to figure out making up in the budget long-term solutions so that we don't have to make really critical transportation cuts all across the state. So these things really do build up over time, and when they weren't addressed and dealt with, um, they really do bubble up and overflow, and those are the things that we now have to figure out how to address now they're, they're at this critical point. All right, 28 after the top there. I mentioned that I got a tweet for you, and the tweeter says the Black Caucus is doing a lot for our communities, but the word is not getting out to many of its residents. Maybe a bigger presence on social media. And the person goes on to say, I would love to purchase a distressed home to leave these expensive apartments that are becoming uh, unaffordable 
unaffordable. I think that's what they should say. But anyway, that's the tweet question for you, uh, Delegate Wilkins. Your thoughts? Thank you so much for for the question. And absolutely, we have to get the word out. Um, We can do all of the most amazing work. We want to make sure our community knows about it and that we're also having the feedback loop in terms of hearing from the residents and Black Marylanders about what they want to see the caucus doing. I do want to emphasize that we are on social media and we would love for all of your listening audience to follow us. On Instagram, we are Black Caucus MD. Black Caucus MD, and on Twitter, we do also have a Twitter account and a Facebook account. Um, our Facebook is also Black Caucus. Our Facebook and Twitter is also Black Caucus MD, and we meet every Thursday morning, usually at either 8 a.m. or 8:30 a.m. So after the Carl Nelson show this morning at 8 a.m., if you tune into Facebook, we will be live on Facebook for our meeting, which this morning is on maternal health. So you can connect with the caucus and watch our meetings live streamed on our Facebook page and stay tuned to what we have going on during the session via our meetings. And and again, for our young people, they're the ones that are online. A lot of them are online. If they're listening to you this morning, what can they expect? What can, what are you doing that for, to help them? One of the really important things that we are addressing is education. Your listening audience may have heard of the Blueprint for Maryland's Future, which is a really deep investment in our public school systems to help make sure that our young people have what they need. For example, we have grown our community schools model throughout the state where we have almost 450 community schools. And what those do for our students is that they help identify what are the what are the needs, what are the things that are missing, what are the critical things, whether it's our students need coats because it's the, the winter time, to we need to help make sure we have a mental health um, person full time in our schools. Developing those community schools to help support our young people and our students is really important. And our investment in the Blueprint for Maryland's Future legislation um, helps to support our young people. All right, 29 away from the top there. Brother Haki's joining us from Baltimore. has a question for you. He's on line one. Good morning, Brother Haki. Yes, sir. Good morning, Brother Carl. And great to hear you. And uh, thank you for having uh, uh, Chairwoman uh, Janelle Wilkins. Uh, good morning, um, Madam Chair. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining, Haki. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, you know, we, we are working very hard. You know, of course, uh, as you know, uh, I'm on the board of the Maryland Black Caucus Foundation. And, um, you know, it's it's been a great experience. Uh, but before, you know, I was actually on the board, you know, I, I for for years I just would come around and, and pretend I was on the board, or you know, people thought that I was on the board for some some years because I was just, I just got in and started working. I just showed up, uh, you know, just tried to learn what what I could do, where I could fit in, and people just assumed that I was like a part of the board. And let me just share, um, and and Carl, you may not know, but uh, Chair Wilkins, she's the first. Uh, chair from Montgomery County, so uh, so she's making history in those regards. But my uh, question: I, I recently I was at the governor's uh, enough where he did the launch in Baltimore, 
and uh, and, and so we're, we're blessed to have someone that actually shows that he cares about Baltimore and will show up and, and share his vision with us uh, in, in the city. But um, when you, you know, have um, issues that, that come up and people are, I'll say, you know, they, they on different sides of the issues. Cause I, you know, I was, I was on the call on call show like a few weeks ago and someone was saying how the governor, I mean, not necessarily the governor, but anyone, you know, they don't hear from their officials, et cetera. But it, it, it's just like what Carl just said. Sometimes people don't know what you all are doing. And, you know, and it's, and I, I'm not as versed in, in all of the issues to, to share, but, you know, I try to do my best, but I feel that, we people we we got to know that you all are moving the needle forward down there. You're not just sitting around. You know, people are truly working and understanding what the community needs are. And if somehow people feel neglected, it's like sometimes you, we need reinforcements, if you will. We need people that may not necessarily be uh, elected to these positions to show up every you know come to Annapolis like I'm coming uh, tomorrow and listen and learn what's going on and, you know, get educated and, and pull uh, people to come to Annapolis. Cause when people see bodies there, they start thinking, Oh, people paying attention. Let me, let me start, you know, let me, let me pay attention to my community. So that's all I want to say. And I thank you and, and the executive board and all of the members of the black caucus for uh, doing what you all do. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brother Hockey. And, and Delia Wilkins, I'll let you respond to what Hockey just said but when we get back, because we got to take a short break here. It's 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. Family, you want to join this conversation with Delegate Wilkins? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest. She's the uh, Legislative Black Caucus Chair. Her name is Janelle Wilkins. She represents Montgomery County in Annapolis. But uh, she's here this morning and discussing some of the issues of facing black Marylanders. Got a question or comment, a request, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we let her respond to what Brother Haki just said, I just want to remind you, coming up later this morning, we speak with Neely Fuller Jr., Dr. Wilson's mentor. Again, he's going to you know issue another edition of his tome on racism and white supremacy. Many of you already know when he says that if you don't understand how the system, that's a key word, the system of racism and white supremacy works, then everything else that you think you understand only serves to confuse. So he'll be here later. And tomorrow, of course, is Friday. And we're going to give you another chance to free your mind and join us for our Open Phone Friday program. Begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Delegate Wilkins, your response to what Brother Haki just said. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, absolutely, and I really appreciate Brother Haki's engagement, um, his his um, Annapolis advocacy and his statewide advocacy as well. And I want to in- encourage, come check us out. We know there's a lot of disillusion with, with politics and elected officials, but um, we all need to be held accountable about the work that we are doing. And what I can say as far as the Black Caucus is we outline every single year the specific issues that we are going to tackle for Black Marylanders and the policies to help move them forward. So we've talked about health. We've talked about a little bit about housing. One of the um, additional housing bills that we are addressing this legislative session is to ban the box when it comes to lease applications. Our Black community, because of our over-incarceration and um, contact with the justice system, we have um, a disproportionate number of convictions, and that prevents people from being able to access housing, being able to rent an apartment. And what our Ban the Box um, on a Lease Applications Bill will do, which is introduced by Delegate Adrian Balafo out of Prince George's County, is it'll look at, it'll do a three-year look back for individuals who um, have convi- who do not have convictions within the last three years, a apartment building, a property manager would not be able to uh, utilize their convictions to um, deny them the ability to, to lease an apartment. And that's something that is really important and disproportionately impacts our community in terms of accessing housing. So that's one of the bills that we are, are looking at this legislative session, as well as procurement. And before you move on, though, uh, Delegate Wilkins, on that, that ban the, the box sure. uh, on lease applications, is this going to be retroactive for people who've been, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, discriminated against prior, to, to, if you get this passed? It, it, will, it will take place when it takes effect. It will not be retroactive. It will start in that moment, that moving forward in the state. Um, uh, property managers, leasing offices would not be able to utilize those convictions. We can't, we're in a lot of uh, legislation, we're not able to go back in time, but what we can do is make sure that moving forward that this is addressed. So what's to stop them from using another excuse, though, for, for you know, they'll see, well, that won't be on the on the application at all, then. That's what you're saying, right? That question. Right, ex- right, exactly. Okay, because I was just thinking, if, if, if you know, if it's not there, they could use some other excuse. Because you know, you know how they do us. You know, in applications, right. they have a way of of uh, coding the people who are going to make the final decision that this is a black person. They, they and, and folks don't know that, but there, when you apply, whether it's a mortgage or or even like, like you mentioned, a rental or a lease or anything like that, the, the people who screen it before it goes to the underwriters, they have a way of coding, letting the underwriters know this is a black person. But anyway, that's what that's that's what I'm glad that you guys yes. are you know starting to do that because. But, but yeah, because that needs to be checked. Anyway, I'm going to let you go ahead and finish what you were telling us about. Absolutely. Uh, another issue with the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland, I know you have um, a, a Baltimore audience. I want to lift up Senator Antonio Hayes, who helps to lead our work when it comes to supporting our black businesses. I also um, want to lift up out of Baltimore County uh, and Scott Phillips, 
who is a legislator there who helps lead that work as well. And in the state of Maryland, we spend billions of dollars each year in terms of goods and services and procuring contracts with different companies. And we have a goal in the state of reaching 29% minority and women-owned businesses. And we just have not gotten close to that goal. But the good news is that we have a governor who has really prioritized reform to our minority business procurement process and to make sure that we're creating greater opportunity because we're talking about uh, billions of dollars that are on the table that we want to make sure our communities are able to access when it comes to contracting. So we have um, a, a series of, of pieces of legislation to help make reforms to increase access for our black businesses to be able to bid. Things like forecasting, improving the forecasting process. What that means is that the state puts out um, notice that says, hey, we are going to have this contract come due in, in two years, in a year, in three years. And having timely information about what's coming down the pike, having accurate information and the right information helps smaller businesses and minority businesses to be able to prepare themselves to successfully bid on these contracts. So things like our contract, our, um, contract forecasting legislation will really help to ensure that when our black businesses are, are bidding, they're able to bid and, and be successful with these state contracts. And I got to remind the family that, that, that these are politicians. They they have sometimes they have to trade to get stuff done when they're working for us on our behalf. Having said that, though, uh, Delegate Wilkins, is there anything in Annapolis that's going to you know affect or help our black youngsters, the young black people? You know, some have gone astray, especially when he looks at the education problem. You look at the education problem in the city of Baltimore. They have huge problems right there on North Avenue, what's going on in the city. Is there anything in the legislature can can do, first of all, and and are they doing anything? Absolutely. So youth youth programs are are absolutely essential. And a lot of times the actual program, the day-to-day programming happens more on the local level. So we have to partner with and ensure that there's resources for that. All across the state, we're seeing um, a lack of activities, after-school programs, and just ways to connect with our young people so that they have services, so that they have productive um, things to be able to do and participate in and just keep them focused. And one of the things that we can do at the state is partner with the, whether it's the city of Baltimore, whether it's um, our Montgomery County organizations and, and, and um, young people and our county leaders and city leaders to make sure that we're putting investments in these programs because there are budget cuts and economic challenges that are happening all across our state. And so we have to prioritize. And I think prioritizing our our young people who we want to ensure have services is part of what we have to do this legislative session. So that's more of a, a budget issue, but our budget is our priorities as a state. What we fund, what we decide that we want to invest in shows the community what we are intending to prioritize. And I think that is a really big piece of it. All right, 12 away from the top of the hour. I'm going to ask you about what's an event that's taking place coming up shortly, the MBE Night in Annapolis, because you're going to be one of the speakers. Can you tell us about that? Yes, building on the discussion around building up our black businesses, 
Every year, the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland and our colleague, Herman Taylor, who I also um, want to shout out, helped put together a Minority Business Enterprise Night, MBE Night, to bring our Black businesses to Annapolis to help support them, share information about state contracting, share information about how to become a certified MBE in the state, and to just provide resources and, and information. So that is taking place starting at 5 p.m. on February 22nd. It's going to be at the Westin Hotel in Annapolis, and that is a major event. Um, we we had over a thousand people in the room last year, and that really shows you how much um, hunger and interest there is and how entrepreneurial our community is and wanting to continue to expand their businesses and, and get different resources and connect with us as legislators as well. So I definitely encourage um, everyone to attend. If you if you Google, I think the website is mbeannapolis.com. If you, if you Google that or go to that website, you can also find the information there. All right. Is that for established businesses or for folks who just want to get in the business game? It, it is for both. We really try to curate an event because we understand that our black business leaders are at all different points. Some are just starting out and, and trying to scale up, and some are major businesses and major players. So we really uh, try to make sure that we have something for everyone. It's also an important networking event as well. I and mean, how many times are you in a room with black business leaders from different industries at different levels and able to connect with each other? learn from each other, support each other. So uh, I definitely recommend it for folks who are both just starting out or looking to open a business and also those who are more at a uh, more established level as well. All right, nine away from the top of there. Money Mike's in Baltimore has a question for you. He's on line one. Good morning, Money Mike. You're on with uh, Delegate Wilkins. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Delegate. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for calling in. Thank you, ma'am. I got a question for you. Now, we hear talk everywhere that there's a problem with the education system, and that's 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 countrywide, the USA. Now, I want to know, is it poor children, is it children of color, or is it all children that the education system is failing so that you can, you know, we can identify the problem, then we can address it. But just to say that you know, our kids are failing in school or the school is failing our kids. I want to know, is it failing all kids? You know, and, and then we say we got a real problem or we got a problem that we have to address. So can I'll take your answer um, and I'll hold on just to see what you got to say. That That's a great question. And thank you for your focus on education. I think all across the country and in Maryland, we have been seeing declines especially coming out of COVID when it comes to our students and their ability to be at grade level. And a lot of that does come from the pandemic and learning loss. However, what's really challenging is that when we look at and when we unpack um, the black students specifically, we see time and time again that we are even more at a, a disadvantage and that we are performing below their the students' white peers. And so we, that's something that we have to tackle. We have to look at race when we talk about education. So that's why I mentioned the blueprint for Maryland's future. 
that legislation is something that we passed that looks at a couple of different areas. One of them is that we know from data that having a strong start, an early childhood start, where we are getting kids in at three years old, four years old for early childhood education, giving them a quality start, that that helps to improve outcomes, especially for our communities that we, we see are behind. So one of the things that that blueprint does, that expands free early childhood to more parents and more families so that more of our community and more communities across the state are able to actually take advantage of that early strong start. So that's one piece. It also looks at our teachers and how we're certifying them, how we're preparing them, how we are keeping and retaining our teachers, because we've also been losing a lot of teachers and have a teacher shortage all across the state as well. So we want to have highly qualified teachers. We don't want the new, all of the new teachers in the poorest, most challenging schools either. So that bill also takes a look at where we have our teachers placed and putting some more of our experienced teachers and incentivizing our diverse teachers as well to teach our students. So it looks at early childhood. It looks at um, looking at our teacher workforce. The other uh, really important thing that... Uh, Hold that thought right there, Delia Wilkins. We've got to take a quick break. I'll let you finish your response to Money Mike. I I think he has a follow-up, and Smitty has a question for you, but we've got to take a short break here at six minutes away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes with your response right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family, and welcome to Black History Month. You know, we do Black History 365 right here on this particular program and on WOL and WOLB. Right now, we have Delegate Janelle Wilkins. from. She's the chair of the Maryland Legislative Black Caucus. And momentarily, we're going to speak with Neely Fuller, Jr. We're going to talk about racism, white supremacy. But let's finish up with Delegate Wilkins. So, Delegate Wilkins, I'll let you finish your response to Money Mike's questions. Yes. And actually, Carl, I really want to thank you so much for having me on. Our Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland meeting is starting now at 8 a.m., so I do have to um, jump off and leave. But I wanted to encourage your listening audience to look up the blueprint for Maryland's future to see the really important work that we are doing when it comes to investing in our schools and our students. And want to thank everyone for their time and their engagement and to just follow the work of Legislative Black Caucus of, of Maryland. We really appreciate the time and the opportunity. All right, before, before you go, it's the way folks can reach you because some people were on hold and waiting to talk to you. So is there a phone number or email address they can, you know, submit their concerns? They can submit it to black.caucus at house.state.md.us. They can also find us again on social media. We meet every Thursday morning at either 8 a.m. or 8.30. We post it uh, the time publicly, and we'll be streaming shortly on Facebook. So when you're, when you're finished with this wonderful program, you can join us for our weekly meeting. Thank you so much, Carl. I appreciate the time. And thank you, and thank you for the work that you do for us in Annapolis. So thank you, Delegate Wilkins. Thank you. All right, All right, folks, as I mentioned, Neely Fuller Jr. is coming up. He's on deck. But uh, Tyrone is joining us from Baltimore. He has an, a special public announcement to make. He's on line three. Good morning, Tyrone. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Is Tyrone still? There he is. Okay, go yeah, ahead, Tyrone. Okay. So, yeah, this is Tyrone. Um, I just wanted to, to encourage everybody to uh, be at the courthouse. Even if you live in D.C. or Greenbelt, it's very important that we show up because from what I could tell, I was there yesterday. They really don't have any evidence because her husband testified that that um, he handled all the finances and that her name was not even on the mortgage documents that had a tax lien on it. And um, so that's what they're trying to say. She had a lien and she didn't report it. Right, right. And Tyrone, you, you refer on to Marilyn Mosby because you didn't mention her name. So yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's a Marilyn Mosby trial. Yes, it's, it's a Marilyn Mosby trial. She, um, she, uh, that what they're saying is that um, she didn't um, report that they had a tax lien, and she said she didn't know about the tax lien because her husband lied to her, and because uh, she she actually took it to the stand. So I was sitting next to a white lawyer, and she told me that it looked like they were just. You know that um, that um, they don't really have a case because um, of the fact that that um, uh, first of all, she went to court. She, that's what she said. She, she said there should have been a civil matter if it did go to court, and there should be no jail involved. But she said she said that this this is lawyer speaking. She said this is so unusual that they're going to set a precedent that will affect other um, people that work for the government. That could affect other people that work for the government, including her. And uh, so um, I would encourage everybody. They're trying to railroad her, and that's what the, the white uh, female lawyer told me. And she said she doesn't understand why black folks aren't standing up for her as she stood up for them. So I would encourage anybody that lives in D.C. or um, uh, green, uh, in the Greenbelt area, which is probably Greenbelt is probably closer to, to D.C. and PG County than um, Baltimore. And um, it's located um, – let me make sure I got the address correct. Just give me a second here. Uh, because we got a bus going down there. I mean, we have a bus going down there. Uh, it's it's uh, 6500 Cherrywood Lane, and they're going to start at 930. 6500 Cherrywood Lane. And please show up for this, sister, because basically what she's being tried for, she did to challenge the FOP, who has convert, a lot of connections, uh, against the right of a black man not to be killed, a brutalized point of, of, of death. And uh, she dared to uh, prosecute police officers involved in that in that killing of Freddie Gray, and she also mm-hmm. stopped a riot by prosecuting them. So this is very important. We support this sister, and uh, the, the the white lawyer also said that if people had showed up before us at first, they probably would have thrown it out of court. Thank you for your mm-hmm. time, uh, Tyrone. No, I, I want you to call in tomorrow and report and tell us what happened today. But thank you for sure what will. you're doing, man. Thanks for marshalling the troops to support Marilyn Mosby because she worked for us after those uh, officers brutalized, the Freddie Gray officers brutalized Freddie Gray. She prosecuted him. This is what she gets, retribution. So we've got to support her. Thank you again, uh, Tyrone. Yes. And again, report to us ba- back tomorrow morning. Oh, well, after they're trying to set an example. Thank you very much. Yes, they are. Five after the top of the hour. Neely Fuller Jr., good morning. How are you doing, Mr. Fuller? 
Good morning. I'm still learning. Good to hear that. That's something all of us should do. But we want to talk about the system of racism, white supremacy. Because you says that if we don't understand how it works and all that it entails, then everything else that we think we understand only serves to confuse you. What do you mean by that phrase? Well, uh, it means that the white supremacists, if anybody uh, looks into it, what is this thing called white supremacy? According to what I have found, it's the strongest government most efficient government in getting things done than any government I've ever heard of. But it's also an evil government. And that by it being the strongest government, it means all other so-called governments either don't exist or if they do exist, they are weaker than the government, in capital letters that you call, that I call, the system of white supremacy. So if you don't understand a system that has more power among people on the planet Earth, than any other system, then everything else that's going on around you, you won't understand that either, just by logic. Everything will be confusing. You have you have chaos in the minds of people. But the more you understand the system of white supremacy, first of all, what it is, and next, how it works, then everything that you see going on around you is going to be confusing. It's a system of government, the strongest system of government, the most efficient system of government when it comes to getting things done, when it relates to things. But it's an awful government, an incorrect government, when it comes to relating to people because it's based on mistreating people based on the color of the skin of people. But the best or strongest government in the history of recorded history of the world, everybody should be familiar with what it is and how it works. Otherwise, everything else that you're involved in is going to be confusing. Mm. Well, I'll hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller, because yesterday uh, Ms. Hughes was here and, and wanted us to watch the movie, go to the movies and see the movie Origin, and it de- deals with race and caste. Race and caste. K- uh, I spelled it wrong yesterday. C-A-S-T-E. Race and caste. And, and this is what, you know, what you're talking about, racism. White supremacy. So my question to you, are all white people white supremacists? No. You have to assume that based on logic. Because everything in the universe should be based on logic. Cause and effect. So in answer to that question, first of all, you think about it. Are all white people racist? 
and all is a pretty significant word. So my answer to that is the answer based on logic, which is what codification or or anything is based on logic that is what it is. Truth is based on logic. I would have to say no because I think the evidence, and that's what you go by, shows that many, many white people, I don't know the number, do not practice racism because they can't. So just from that alone, the answer would be no. All right, and hold that answer right there, Dr. Fuller, 10 after the top of that. In that movie, The Origin, there, there was prejudice or bigoted against the Jewish people. And when we look at them, we we think they are, they're white. You know, they've been, they've been discriminated against by the Nazis. So for us who can't distinguish, if we look at a white person, is he Italian, is he Jew, is he Greek, is he Irish? How do we determine which one of those, if that they are racist? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, white supremacy is racism. So how do we, as a black person, determine when we're dealing with them that they're racist? And family, let me say this before you answer, Mr. Fuller. Family, you got to listen real keenly because Mr. Fuller uses cause and effect. He uses logic. Those of you who have taken logic in class, in college, you understand how he proves his point. But, but listen very keenly. So again, Mr. Fuller, how do we, as a black person, determine if this what particular white person is, is is a racist? Nobody determines who is white, first of all, except the white supremacists. That's why you have white supremacy. They make the final decisions on everything, not just some things, but all of the people on what is called the planet Earth. So... What a white person who is a racist says, that person is white. I'm verifying it. Nobody overrules them. That's what supreme means. Nobody overrules you who is in the form of a person. Now, you can be overruled by your creator instantly because most people or a great number of people do acknowledge that there is a creator of the entire universe, including a creator of people. But white people in the year 2024 who have taken on and become a member, but you do have to join, of what is called the white race, and when you join the member of the white race, you become a racist. When you become a member of any race based on color, you're automatically a racist. Black people were told that we are members of a race. Told by whom? That they were a member of the Negro or Negroid or colored or people of color, race. But they were told this by the white supremacists, because they do the classifying and answer to that question. Who determines who's white? The white supremacists. 
they look at a person and say, you're white. And a black person might look at the person and say, I got some people in my family who are whiter than that guy. That white guy, that, that, that ain't no, that ain't no white guy. That, hey, his skin is a little too brown for him to be white. And the white supremacists will look at that black person and say, "What did I say? What did I say, Negro?" Or he might call him the N-word flat out. What did you just hear me say? I said that this man sitting here next to me is white. I said it. Now take a look at me. I'm white. Right. And hold that thought right there, uh, uh, Mr. Fuller. Hold that thought right there, because we got to take a quick break. I'm sorry to break the train of thought, but I'll let you come back to that when when we when we return. Family, call up a couple of friends and tell them it's Black History Month. And Nitty Fuller Jr. is on the radio. If you want to speak to him, 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, your information is power. Family, 21 minutes to have the top of the hour with Neely Fuller Jr. as our guest. He's giving us some more information on his tome on racism and white supremacy. Those of you who were listening on Thursday when Miss Hughes was here and was telling us to watch the movie Origin, and it dealt with how the the Nazis learned their racism. They took the recipe of uh, the, the, the white folks in the south, south of America, the, the Klan, and, and, and what they did to us in slavery and also in Jim Crow, and then they turn around and use it on the Jews. So my, so my question for Neely Fuller Jr., is, is that what you were explaining to us? Is the Nazis determining that the Jews weren't white enough for them, so that, that that's why they discriminated against them? I've never understood anything enough, I'll say, about that to make an intelligent assessment. First of all, we're using words, which that is very important. That's why I have a word guide. Uh, when people start talking about what, first of all, what is a Jew? And I have found from experience that the best approach to answering that question is to always if you want to know what a Jew is, you should be. Now, this is where the, what I call the counter-racist code kicks right in immediately because it's controversial. How do you find out what a Jew is? You ask a person who is a Jew and don't ask anybody else. Ever what a Jew is, what a Jew does, what race is a Jew. Don't ever ask anyone that question. That's why I say we need a code, meaning the victims of racism need a code. And that's a rigid part of the code. And that is, if you are a person of color, a person who is classified as non-white, on planet Earth in the year 2024, never, ever, under any circumstance, ask a person what is a Jew 
until you first find out that the person who is going to answer the question is indeed a genuine Jew. The person says that's who they are, and the person will explain or not explain. But don't ask that question of anyone else ever. Why? Because the record shows that's the first error that you're going to make in that dialogue or monologue or whatever kind of long it is. And you're going to have added confusion. That's why. You're just going to have confusion on top of confusion on top of confusion. And you're going to have a lot of controversy, most likely, just on that question alone. And you're talking to someone when you ask that question who is not a Jew. And then you ask that first question, and you're ready, and the person says, yes, I am a genuine Jew. I am the real thing. What do you want to know? Uh, that might, you know, the person might ask you a question. But you should not be satisfied in asking that question unless you're talking to a person who is a Jew. And uh, as far as I know, I'm not a Jew. So if you ask me anything about a person who is a Jew, or about Jews, or a person, that's another word that's associated with Jews, uh, for sure, and that's Semite, and don't ask me before. I'll go, and you ask me to do anything, tell me to go find a person who is a Semite. And then they bring that person to you, or you take that take that person to someone who is one and get that verified. And then, according to what I have written and what I'm saying now on the air, then the conversation can start. But don't even think about starting a conversation without having present and be talking to a person who is has the title and accepts the title of Jew and or Semite, et cetera, et cetera, ever. And I had to get that in there because I think that's extremely important. Otherwise, you've got chaos. Hold that thought there, and Mr. Fuller, some people want to talk to you already. 800-450-7876. Charles is on line one. Charles III, he's calling from the district. Charles, good morning. You're on with Neely Fuller, Jr. Uh, good morning, Brother Carl, and thanks for uh, taking my call. I have a comment and a question for Mr. Fuller. The comment is, as Mr. Fuller said, the white determine who's white and who's not. You can go back to the uh, Italians. Uh, throughout the 1800s, they were considered non-white. And then the white supremacists decided in the early 
late late 19th century, early 1900s, that, okay, Italians are now white. So the white supremacist does make that decision. But, Mr. Fuller, my question for you is the white supremacist created a system that some people refer to as a caste system. And that system was based on race. And it really is just uh, validating white supremacy. Yet you have black folks who want to focus on a caste system as if to say that differs from white supremacy. So can you explain why the white supremacist has black folks talking about a caste system when all of it is trumped by white supremacy? And I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you. Because the white supremacists are the most powerful people on the planet, and in the uh, second area of activity under education, the white supremacists decide when you're educated, if you're a person of color. You don't decide when you're so-called educated, if you have color in your skin, black, brown, red, or yellow. That's what supreme means. I'll tell you when you know enough. So in answer to your question, they call the shots on that, too, just like they do for everybody who has color in their skin, everybody on the planet. If you have color in your skin, you are not exempt from the system of white supremacy. You come under the system of white supremacy, and the white supremacists decide what is or what isn't anything at any given time. So it's logical that, you know, master has spoken. Nobody speaks after them. They can argue and whatnot, but nobody really speaks with authority after they have spoken. And they will remind you, what did I say? The white supremacists do that every day, all day, everywhere. They let people know who Big Daddy is and Big Mama. Only one boss in this house. When I'm a white supremacist and you are going to make a decision about anything without me, it's not going to happen, boy. It just ain't going to happen. And they are proving it. It's not happening. They control all the nine areas of activity on the planet. Economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. They say, could they control religion? Yes. If you've got color in your skin. They decide what you can do with your religion. You say, no, I, I follow my creator. My, I do it my creator. Well, if your creator does something that the white supremacists don't approve of, as anybody can tell you, 
like the Lord Luther King can tell you, his religion was Christianity. What does the white supremacist say? I don't care what your religion is. You keep doing what you're doing and you're out of here. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, family, our guest is Neely Fuller Jr. you got a question, reach out to us at 800-450-7676. I'm using the double here. I'm just involved in what he's saying. 7876, because, you know, it takes a lot to absorb what Mr. Fuller is saying. You've got to listen very, very keenly. It's not one of these programs that you can listen halfway and listen. You've got to really get into it, because, again, he uses logic, cause and effect to prove his points. you got a question, reach out to us at 800 450 Seven six got a tweet question, and Marvin in Baltimore has a question for you. But we got to take the short break. We're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Free in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. Welcome to Black History Month. Uh, you know, we celebrate Black History Month every day on this program. Our guest is Neely Fuller Jr. discussing racism and white supremacy. And again, I've got to tell you, you've got to listen very keenly. You just can't listen with one ear. Put both those ears in the speaker because he uses logic, cause and effect to prove his points. So, Mr. Fuller, before the break, I was asking you, can the racism problem be solved? Well, let me put it another way because you're always talking about a stickler for questions. Can racism be erased? Yes, that's the answer. But you have to understand what it is, like you're trying to solve any problem. You have to understand what the problem is and how it works. You can't understand what a problem is and how it works and then solve it. You have to understand the details. Exactly how does this thing called white supremacy work? It works on deceit and violence. That's how it works. But that main part, the first part, both of them are real important. The white supremacists run the entire world based on deception, fooling people, tricking people. Like they got black people tricked big time right now. They'll fool them in the thinking that this thing called sex has no boundaries. Think about what I'm saying now, because they came up with this idea some time ago. They've been working on it solidly for about. 60 or 75 years now, but they've been doing it slowly. Recently, they're all over the place doing it in everybody's face because 
black people are not aware of how important this is. They, the white supremacists figured out that sex is extremely powerful. Everybody on the planet has figured that out. Sex causes people to do all sorts of things. So the white supremacists said, black people are on the move now. They're becoming more intelligent than they have been. So we're going to grab hold of this thing called sex and steer black people all over the place in every type of direction we can send them in and think up new ways of doing it. And it's working because if they figured out, logically speaking, if you can control people's sexual inclinations, it's real easy to control them in the areas of economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion. They can change the religion just about based on sex. They can say, oh, okay, okay. You black people want your freedom. You want this, that. Let's just center on sex. That's the first thing we need to straighten out is how you black people think about sex. So first of all, we want you to know that it's not just one type of sex. Uh, let's see now. What do we got here in our catalog? Oh, here's another one. Oh, wow. Here's another one. Oh, we got we got a type of sex that'll fit every alphabet. And then some, after you run out of alphabet, there are new and better types that are coming up almost overnight every day. And you black people got to get aware of it because you do want to be up to date now, don't you? And we have taken that in hook, line, and sinker. And haven't straightened out the male-female thing yet. And grabbing for new ways, new types of sexuality, and, and all phantom type of, you know, Phantom sex, alphabet sex, rainbow sex. Do we understand what we're doing? Take everything else out of the school. Don't learn how to do anything. But let that little boy know real quick at an early age what you need to know more than anything. It's how to have varieties of sex, you little black boys. You need to know that more than anything, and that's what we're going to teach you. So that you will not be misguided. That's just one thing, but they're doing that in all the areas of activity. So in answer to the question, you have to know what the white supremacists are doing. Because they don't do anything that's not going to make the system of white supremacists stronger. We have to change our minds on that. And the way you do it is to understand how they operate. And they operate in all areas of activity. What they do in economics, what they do in education, what they do in entertainment. How do the white supremacists operate? 
man and talk to him about it. Now, to solve the problem, it's always all problems are solved. This is a part of your code. It should be. Make sure that you know and understand all problems are solved through the process of what? Questions and answers. Now, we have here the Carl Nelson Show. The Carl Nelson Show basically is made up of what? Questions and answers. Why? Because that's the only way you can solve problems. You're not going to solve any problem without questions and answers. How many questions and answers? As many as it takes to solve the problem. You don't turn loose to that. That's the only way to go. But sometimes we stop asking questions and then wonder why the problem isn't solved. When the formula, the logic is of the universe, all problems are solved through the process of questions and answers. And you don't stop asking questions. Once you start stopping asking questions, you are going to stop solving problems. That's whether you're trying to get across the street safely or whether you're going to the moon and back. You better have a lot of questions and a whole lot of answers and don't move to the second question until the first question is answered. That's the logic of solving the race problem or any other problem. Ask questions. We'll get there. That's the fast way and the only way to get there. It's only when you stop asking questions. Black people are highly trained by the white supremacists. Don't ask questions. Just get out there and do. A black person is never supposed to use his brain. We're supposed to be people in action. I got to go, man. I got to go. I ain't got time to talk. I got to go this. I got to go there. First of all, where are you going? What are you going to do when you get there? Well, I'm going to get such and such a thing. Like a couple of white people. I'm going to give this as an illustration. I saw some white people frantically looking around on the ground and and those who had cell phones were on them and I realized that they were talking about trying to find some lost cell phones. They were tourists. So evidently all the information is in that cell phone, okay? The two cell phones. I had just picked them up when I spotted them out of a crowd of people. I say, those look like the people that might be looking for these cell phones. So I just stood there and watched them for a few minutes. 
and then I came in proximity of them, uh, enough to talk to them. And I held the phones up in front of the woman who was frantically on the phone. And she was kind of looking at me all annoyed and brushing me away. Don't bother me. Don't leave, you know. And I'm I'm trying to put the phones in front of her eyes, which I did. But she's looking at them, and she didn't even see them. Because she's frantically thinking about she lost the phones. But I had found the phones. And then all of a sudden, I just kept jumping in front of her. Holding up the phones right in front of her, right in her face, and finally she recognized. So she got, you know, getting ready to cuss. I mean, you know, or call the police or something. And then she recognized those were her phones. <laughs> and I said, I found these. Are these yours? And she said, Oh yes, oh 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 oh. And then she rushed off and with the other people and whatnot to let them know she had found the phone. But, see, sometimes we're rushing to get somewhere, and the formula is right there in front of you for what to do. So what black people need is a code for doing things. And the do something that we have been told not to do from an early age. Don't ask questions. We should be the biggest asker of questions that the world has ever seen. And you will find we'll come out of this in record time. That's what I found when I start asking endless questions. Stop making so many statements. Ask questions. Why? Because the only solution to solving a problem, and we have many, is to ask questions and get the correct answers. And don't turn loose till you do. All right, That's 12 after the top of the hour. Mantu's calling us from New York. We're coming on a break real soon, but let's go to Mantu on, on line two. Good morning, Mantu. Yes, uh, greetings, Abadagani, uh, Yuhuru, and Hotep to the listening family and to uh, the guests. Thank you for this uh, great uh, discussion, Food for Thought. Uh, my question for you, uh, Elder, is how uh, many of us are under the illusion that everything is perfect in the uh, white world? And is it logical for us to expect white people to treat us better when they don't treat themselves at the best level? Uh, when you look at the crime statistics, they have, they murder each other. They have domestic violence, uh, human trafficking, sexual abuse of children, um, theft, you know, they their own parents, etc. So is it logical for us to expect than to treat us better when they don't treat themselves um, on an ethical and uh, positive manner. 
All right, hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. I know you want to respond, and thanks, man, too, for the question, but we've got to take a short break. When we come back, Mr. Fuller will address your question. Is it logical for black people to expect better treatment from whites when they don't treat each other with better treatment themselves? So what are your thoughts, family? Join this conversation at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. From the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Information is power. And good morning and again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, Nita Fuller Jr. is our guest who's discussing racism, white supremacy. And again, I got to tell you, I got to implore these young folks, you got to listen keenly because he uses cause and effect to prove his points. All right, Mr. Fuller, do you remember the Mantu's question? I didn't get the question. That's, that's why I said that's the part. We need a code. And, uh, you know, it's not a criticism now. I want to make that clear. It's just a way of going about doing things. We never move to the second question without having answered the first. That's That's just I've discovered over the years that otherwise you've got what? You got chaos and confusion when you move to the second question without answering the first. It's always the first question in solving problems. That's the process. And you never move to the second question without first getting the first question asked and answered. Why? That's another question right there. Because you get confusion in all the other questions when you try to answer them. So I didn't get that first question because it was two questions yeah, asked. Yeah, he, he's basically saying, can we expect white folks to treat us better when they don't treat each other well? Why is what now? If we can expect white people to treat us better than they're treating us right now when they don't treat each other well. Because they taught us not to treat each other the correct way. All people are given a choice of how we're going to treat each other. But the white supremacists teach black people to interact with each other with hostility. I mean, they, they right from when we go to school, we learn what? How to be hostile more than anything. They talk about what? All the great wars, so-called civil wars. No such thing as a civil war. A civilized war? What are you talking about? War is war. You harm people. Bang, 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 bang. Fall down, you're dead. On Christmas morning, I was taught, talking about the birth of a Savior. Long ago and far away. And what did I look for under the Christmas tree? It's all about the birth of a Messiah, the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, a good person, 
a person directly sent from heaven. And what is Neely Fuller Jr. looking for under the Christmas tree? A rifle. A handgun. I like my little toy train, but it didn't take presents. Oh, I open this package, and I, what do I have? A gun. Now, a gun, in the form of a pistol, is made basically to do one thing, kill people. So when I got a head full of that, and then compounded by all the movies I see, all the video games that I play, oh, and then I get mad about something, oh, now, hey, and who am I going to shoot? The person next to me. Shoot my own brother right there by the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Just open the package and shoot him if I get mad at him. And why am I mad at him? Because I've been taught to be mad about somebody and everybody. The whole world is mad. So include me in that. Because that's what life is all about. Looking forward to death real quick. So black people are taught this systematically in answer to the question, by whom? By our greatest teacher, the white supremacist, racist man and racist woman, collectively. They teach this. They teach violence. Recently, I was looking at a television program that says that we talk about the news and the most important thing in the news. So I looked at the program, and it seems like they did. But they always had a little spot, regardless of what the news was, because it started off uh, talking about the things that were nice that was happening, uh, excellent things, things you learn from that will help people. But then, evidently, the ratings start falling, so they went back to something that they figured was tried and true. Now, this is a television program. Murder. The most popular programs on television are ones that have to do with what? Violence. Violence. Martin Luther King talks about anti-violence. And they say, well, we'll be violent against you. You keep talking that stuff about peace and love and happiness. Are you crazy? On this planet, in the system of white supremacy, Negro, are you crazy? Well, we know how to handle crazy people, crazy Negroes in particular. After they drive you crazy, then they kill you for being crazy. In answer to the question, that's what they do. That's why it's got to be stopped. All this foolishness, being hostile. Black males and black females are hostilities on all-time high. 
the white supremacists want it that way. The more we talk about finding peace and love and whatnot, the worse it gets, the actual situation. That's not magic. That's science. The science of racism is the cause of it all. Once we understand that, we understand everything about our lives, if you can call this living. Wow. Hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. Got some more folks who want to talk to you at 28 after the top of the hour. Zach's in Baltimore County somewhere. He's on line three. Good morning, Zach. You're on with Neely Fuller, Jr. Zach there on line three? Uh, let's go uh, Let's go to K.O. there on, on line one in Washington, D.C. K.O., good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Sure. Yes, sir. Well, I just want to say thank you for letting me on the World's Greatest Talk Show with the World's Greatest Talk Show host, with the World's Greatest Guest, on and operated by the World's Greatest uh, Media owner, Miss Kathy Hughes. Mr. Fuller, I just don't have no questions. Been listening to you for many years. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You may not know it, realize it or not, but your word, forever uh, being spoken all over the the planet, and what is that? If we ask somebody how they're doing, they'll say, I'm still learning. Got that from you. And then your student, one of your illustrious students, maybe the most illustrious, hardest working soldier, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson's words was, justice means those who need the most help get the most productive help. So I'm saying that to say, uh, we believe, based on one of our teachers, that uh, racism, white supremacy, is a dead dog that we just haven't buried yet. But we love you. We love you. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. And it's going in the grave. You can believe that. Thanks to you, mostly. So thank you. Continue to have a great life, Mr. Fuller. And Mr. Carl Nelson, world's greatest talk show host, I got to go. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, thanks, K.O. Let me pick up on something that K.O. said, Dr. Fuller, because there's a question here, a tweet question. The tweeter says, ask Mr. Fuller about the code guaranteeing that no one is mistreated and guaranteeing that the person who needs the most construction help is referring is help i'm going you know confused with the help is referring to humanity could this apply to the migrants so the, the question the people who need the most help right now the, the question here the tweeters want to know is does this apply to the migrants trying to cross the border is is this a part of what now 
He says, does this apply when you say that the guarantee, the code guarantees that no one is should be mistreated and guarantees that the person who needs the most help, are you referring to, in humanity, could this apply to the migrants? It applies to everybody on the planet. It's, it's the definition for justice. I made up that definition. I looked at, I looked at all kinds of definitions. Uh, and I still do. If I, somebody hands me a new dictionary, I look up the word justice is the word that I look up first. I go straight to that. And, and justice is always associated with another word called fair. Fair is white. So the white supremacists, scientifically, they made when you start thinking about justice, you think about white, whiteness, my fair lady, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, white. So they don't spell it alike. Justice is spells one way, fair, F-A-I-R, another way, justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E, well, how did justice get mixed up with the word fair? The white supremacists working through the language does that. They do stuff like that. They're the masters of it. They manipulate words in such a way that it's always in support of the system of white supremacy. So I said, I'm not accepting this word justice the way it's defined. We go to court and whatnot, we're looking for justice. Well, now, am I looking for somebody white? Well, what, what, you know, what's going on? It doesn't tell me much. So I made up a compensatory definition that I think will hold up against any test. And it's two parts. And it's in the code book uh, that I published here, the word guide. Justice is two parts. Part one, you have to guarantee that no person is mistreated. And part two, you guarantee that the person that needs help the most gets the most constructive help. Now, that's a definition that you can measure. You can't measure no justices being fair. Well, what, what, that doesn't tell you what to do. See, it always comes down to doing something. See? Right, and hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. We gotta take our last break here, and I'll, and I'll let you finish your thought on the other side. And I think Man Two has a follow-up question for you as well. It's 26 minutes away from the top there, our family. You want to join this conversation, Manita Fuller Jr.? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power.
And good morning again, family. And I guess it's nearly full of June. Before we go back to nearly full of June, I just want to remind you that well, for our DC listeners, there's some sort of protest going around the 14th Street Bridge, and it's a sort of blocked off the police over there. So be careful if you're out there, that area. They say uh, 14th Street and Independence Northwest was blocked off. So there's some sort of rally going or a protest rally going on that, that area. So if you're in the district, just be mindful of that. I just want to remind you that tomorrow, again, is an open phone Friday. They give you a chance to free your mind. Think for yourself as a Mr. Fuller has been teaching us all morning long. And reach out to us to start uh, right here in Baltimore at 6 a.m. on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and 1450 WOL. Mr. Fuller, before, uh, I need you to tell folks how to get a copy of it. But before we do that, I think Brother Mantu has a follow-up question for you. Mantu, he's still there with us online too? Is Mantu there or is he already gone? I think he's gone. All right. No, so, Always there. All right, mine too. Your yes, follow-up yes. question for Mr. Fuller? Yes. Um, I thank you for the opportunity again, uh, Brother Quasi. Uh, just to restate, and I apologize if I was not clear, if whites engage in negative and destructive behavior amongst themselves, is it logical to expect them to be able to overcome racism the question is what? Sometimes I, I don't hear, and, I'm, and that, that's one of those times. I don't hear you distinctly. That, the question, I have to understand the question, because that brings about confusion. That's my fault, but it's something I can't help. Uh, I'll try to do my best. But ask that question again. Yes, sir. If whites engage in negative and destructive if, 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 let me hear it word for word. If white people, go right ahead. If white people engage, if white people, yes, engage, engage in destructive behavior. Destructive behavior amongst themselves. Amongst themselves, okay. Is it logical? Is it logical to expect? To expect they can contribute to the end of racism. Them to contribute to the end of racism. Yes, sir. That's the question. If white people among themselves, uh, harm, do harm, basically, that's what's being asked, I think. Yes. Is that, is that the question? Why do I, we should think? We shouldn't. That's why we have to ask white people to change. And then give them the reasons why. Because change for the better means change for the better. Can it? Can the world be run better by people not mistreating each other? It's a little more difficult, maybe a whole lot more difficult than mistreat each other, because the systems that we have in place now. And the basic system is a system of white supremacy. 
the greatest system, the one that makes everybody bow down to it, the system of white supremacy. It's a system that's designed to mistreat people. But will a system of justice be better? And the answer is yes, theoretically. It's never been seriously tried by anybody. People have been at war with each other about this, that, and the other, like forever. So much so that everybody worships war. Everybody, directly or indirectly. And they think it's fun. It's been made to be the biggest fun thing there is. So in answer to the question, we shouldn't expect people in the frame of mind that they have now to do anything but do harm to each other because that's the most popular thing to do. But what about making justice popular? You can do that simply by saying, let's make it that way. Guarantee. So you first have to know what it would be like. We we didn't even have an idea. I know I didn't. I kept looking for the definition of justice. We're looking for something, and um, neither fool is looking for something and doesn't know what he's looking for. I mean, it didn't make sense. So I gave it a definition that makes sense, I think. And that is you got to guarantee that no person is mistreated. Otherwise, you can't have justice. There's no such thing as partial justice. You either got it or you haven't. You got to guarantee that nobody is mistreated. If one person is being mistreated, you don't have justice. And in answer to the question, you can't have justice in the system of white supremacy because it's designed to produce non-justice. It's designed that way. Like you design a car to do what it does. So you have to ask questions, and this is how you do it, persuade white people at some point, no matter how long we fight, at some point, somebody needs to make a breakthrough to the idea, bringing the idea of justice into fruition, into reality. Guarantee that no person is mistreated and guarantee that the person who needs help the most gets the most constructive help, whether that person is white or non-white. That's the formula for even reparations. I say, logically speaking, and it's not because Neely Fuller is saying it and he's done some kind of studies and all like that. I'm talking about following logic. Don't follow Neely Fuller nowhere. I make too many mistakes. I'm saying the logic says you want to have justice, you've got to guarantee that nobody's mistreated. And you've got to guarantee that the person that needs help the most gets the most constructive help. Now, a person who is, says that they got a cocaine habit and they need help, Okay, if you're going to give them help, you don't give them more cocaine, even though they say that that will be helpful. That's not constructive help. That's why words are very important. 
You've got to put that word constructive in there. And how do you do that? Because it's a problem. And how do you solve a problem? Questions and answers. When we sit down and talk to white people, we ask them, do you want to consider not mistreating people? Just consider it. Talk about it. That's what we mean by consideration. You know, you start with the talk. Let's sit down and talk about what? Replacing the system of white supremacy. And the white supremacy said, no, we ain't talking about that. And they say, well, we're going will you agree to at some point talk about it? Or we're just going to keep fighting? Because that's what's going to happen. We're just going to keep fighting forever. But at some point, all fighters, even among white people, in answer to the question, have to stop fighting like they're doing over there in Ukraine and all like that and sit down and talk. And when they talk, all problems are solved through what kind of talk? Questions and answers. That's all. The system is easy once we understand the systems, how systems work. We're not taught any of that, how systems work. White supremacy is a system, and it's a problem. How do you solve all problems? Questions and answers. That's all. You've got okay. to come to the point where you have questions and answers. And it'll take you right. It won't take everybody where they want to go, but it'll take everybody where they need to be. All right, Mr. Fuller, 11 away from the top there. I want to give you a chance. An AP in Maryland's one speech. But if, before we do that, can you tell folks how they can get copies of your book? You can get copies by going to twowords.com. And those two words are produce justice. Producejustice.com. Producejustice.com. And that will tell you uh, the points of view that I've been talking about on this program and what suggestions about how to solve the race problem. That's what the books are about. From a victim's viewpoint. Now, if you don't consider yourself a victim of racism, the book does not apply to you. I think. But I would hope that it does apply to you, and I hope that you would read it. And the best way to read it is just pick it up on any page and just see what you see that makes sense that will help you to solve whatever problem you have. And if you don't see it on that page, just turn to another page and whatnot. And then at some point, read it from front to back. Well, most people don't have time to read that much. So you can get the basic book and the word guide because you'll be using words, you'll be looking at words when you read. That's what you're looking at. When you're talking to someone, what to say and what not to say. Like I said on this program, if you're talking about Jews, what to say and what not to say. 
and who to say it to. And I said this morning, if you want to know anything that involves people who are Jews or Jewish, then the book says what I have written based on logic, always have a person who is a Jew, a person who has confirmed that you're indeed, you're not talking to someone who's pretending to be one, but someone who is an actual Jew, and people have agreed is one. Otherwise, don't have a conversation about Jews at all. Are you going to have what in the year 2024? You're going to have confusion. And there's no point in talking to anybody if the result is going to be confusion. That's anybody about any subject. That's just the laws of the universe. Neely Fuller is nobody's teacher. I want to make that clear. I'm not qualified to teach anybody anything. I'm too dumb myself. But I can, what I do, and I've been called this uh, directly and indirectly by people say, what Neely Fuller does, Neely Fuller doesn't tell you anything because he claims that he doesn't know anything for sure. But he directs you to the field of logic, which is what black people have been trained not to do. We've been trained not to be logical people. Now, what is logic? Cause and effect. If you do this, if you drink water, you're going, something is going to happen to you that is better than drinking alcohol. And how do you find this out, child and error? But the white supremacists will give big advertisements and hire people, hire black people, white people, to advertise alcohol as an improvement over water when it comes to drinking. And they told some people who are called Indians that, for for instance. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right. And Mr. Fuller, we're just flat out of time here. Again, yes, sir. But again, I want to thank you. You know, each and every time a conversation we have, you we learn so much, and and thank you for, you know, explaining how the system of racism, white supremacy works. Because I fully understand it now, and and it's you know every I use it all the time, and I, and I'm sure many of the listeners do. So I want to thank you for that. 
Well, I, I want to thank the people for listening because they're helping me by listening and asking questions to find my own way. I'm still learning. I say that okay. all the time. That's right. my condition. I'm and we all are, Mr. Fuller. But we got to run. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, you're not dumb, you, but you're smart. <laughs> and no, thank, I'm we thank to you. Get smart. <laughs> okay. We're all done. Family we late. We got to run out of here. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here in Baltimore at 6 on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.